What's Your Position podcast may contain adult themes, sexual discussions, and strong language. We want everyone to be educated, but we are intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Marie Tuin, dating and relationship coach, to talk about mindful dating. All right, and I have a joke for you. I'm ready. Um, okay. What does a robot do after a one-night stand? <laughs> I don't know what. He nuts and bolts. <laughs> <laughs> and now, with love from Huntington Beach, your host, Ashley Weller. Welcome, fellow humans, to another episode of What's Your Position? A full frontal for your listening pleasure. Today, we have Dr. Marie uh, Tuin joining us. Uh, she's a dating and relationship coach. She helps folks from all walks of life create vibrant love within their relationships. Her mindful dating framework, which we're going to break down, um, has been helpful in hundreds of dating couples. Um, and she's helped individuals take on different areas of growth, freedom and authentic connections with other peoples. She's also a scholar on the topic of compersion, which is something that we touched upon in season three with Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Um, another word for compersion would be positive empathy. And uh, Marie also has been published over a dozen times uh, in numerous articles discussing compersion um, and mindful dating. She also loves to celebrate relationship diversity as a foundation of creating an intentional life. You can find Marie at www.loveinsight-dating.com. You can also follow her at in on Instagram at love underscore insight underscore dating. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Marie. Can I call you Dr. Marie? Is that fine? Oh, that's so sweet. You can call me Marie, but however okay. you want. It's so uh, nice I to be here. I will call you Dr. Marie. I think it's okay. cute. I'm okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I love this topic. When you reached out and said that you had found me through Jolie Hamilton, by the way, shout out to my girl. Um, oh, yeah. Love you, Jolie. Uh, you had said you found us and you wanted to discuss either compersion or mindful dating. I've done a couple episodes and a couple of Instagram lives with a friend of mine. My husband just reminded me, my friend Alex Nashton, who is a mindfulness coach. Mm. And I really love this idea of blending mindfulness and sex, mindfulness and relationships, because mindfulness is something that is beneficial for all individuals, regardless of if you're in a relationship. Well, you're in a relationship with yourself. So you are in a relationship that deserves mindfulness. It's the one you have with you. Uh, but you can be mindful in every area and aspect of your life. You can do mindful grocery shopping. You can do mindful yoga. You can do mindful putting on your clothes. And mindfulness is something I think should be intertwined in every area of our life. So when you approached me with mindful dating, I thought, what a beautiful topic to present to my listeners, something that is beneficial to them, whether they're in a relationship, trying to get into a relationship or just got out of a relationship. So thank you so much for um, coming on and for talking to us about such a really cool and beautiful topic. Mm, thank you so much for having me. I love, yeah, I agree. I think mindfulness should be everywhere. It just adds so much juice, so much presence, so much intention to every part of our lives. And dating is one of those parts that doesn't always get the mindfulness treatment. So. Right. 
yeah, when we're dating, we are um, paying attention to how we look. We're paying attention to, um, did I make a mistake? Did I fart in front of them like <laughs> too early in the relationship? And we sometimes lose the intention because we're so focused on not disappointing the other and we lose ourselves in that. And then we get disappointed when that relationship doesn't end up working out the way we thought. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness always helps us set expectations as well, which I think is a big part of dating is those high expectations. Mm -hmm. right. So first, I would love to um, discuss what mindfulness is. So I'm going to just assume that the listener uh, maybe needs a little bit of a refresher on what mindfulness is. So I would like to see what everyone thinks mindfulness is. <clears throat> oh, wow. Husband but, Kevin Weller. <laughs> what, well, is, what is mindfulness, my love? I mean, I guess it would just be aware of your thought process, what's going on within you. Yeah, that's really good. Interpersonal. Yeah. Being aware. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess kind of in the same deal, like making a conscious effort to be aware of yourself and your surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. Marie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awareness is great. And I would also add the word presence, being mm. really present and embodied being with yourself and also having a layer of awareness that's kind of watching the movie of yeah. who you are rather than just being caught up in the movie without right. that extra yeah. layer of awareness. Mindfulness is the basic human ability to be fully present, like you just said, and aware of where you are and what you're doing and not to be overly reactive or overly responsive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. It's a quality that everybody in the world already possesses. Um, it's not something that is innate in only a certain number of human beings. It's just a practice that you have to engage in, in order to harness the mindfulness and to remind yourself to use it in everyday situations. Mindfulness is um, extremely good for your health. Uh, so I was looking up statistics for this episode. There's not a lot of statistics like numbers wise on mindfulness. There is a lot of data that shows mindfulness can actually help grow the gray matter in our prefrontal cortex and help improve the hippocampus and the amygdala. It also can create new neural pathways. Alex would be so proud of me right now. Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes so much sense. Uh-huh. Mindfulness creates... The neural pathways. Yeah. It creates new rivers That's in our insane. brain so that we learn how to navigate situations in a different fucking way so that we aren't reacting mm -hmm. to things the same way. When you do and practice mindfulness, that you're able... Sense, right? Yeah, that does. What do you think? Help me, Marie. Am I, mm -hmm, am mm -hmm. I saying it? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that because when we're becoming and practicing becoming like less reactive then we're giving more power to that prefrontal cortex that is able to make us feel more in charge of our life more empowered more in the driver's seat mm -hmm. rather than just being a victim of everything that's happening exactly i think that mindfulness is one of the most powerful ways to pull yourself out of victim mentality or martyrdom, which so many people suffer from, you know, this thought process, everything bad happens to me. Mm -hmm. um, why is no one helping me? Why is this keeping? Why do these people keep breaking up with me? And we continue to play the blame game. Instead, when we're mindful, we're actually looking at 
everything around us, not just what's happening to me or who's standing in front of us saying whatever. We're looking at an entire situation and we're able to understand that the person who's talking to us is their own person and they're suffering from their own unique sets of issues. And we're not alone. There's people sitting at a table who are also having an argument. There's a person sitting with their dog. There is an old man by himself. And when you are taking in the other and when you are taking in your surroundings, you're able to ground yourself in that moment. And instead of becoming reactive and feeling like a victim, you can actually say, oh, I have control. I, I have legs. I can actually leave this situation. <laughs> I can actually walk away from this conversation. This is phenomenal. Or I can just say, hey, thanks for your, thanks for the conversation. I have to go. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. No more for this. Right. Mm -hmm. And take charge. And like you said, feel like you're in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you work with people who suffer from victim mentality? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think most of us suffer from mm. victim mentality, if not all of us, really, at some level. It's very rare for someone to be completely free of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's something that's so ingrained. And when we feel like we're yeah, experiencing yeah. negative, painful emotions, our automatic reaction is to look for someone to blame. It's to look right. for how we us. have been victimized. <laughs> it's never, it's never. Well, because admitting that it's your fault would mean that like you have a fault. Like mm -hmm. there's something wrong with you. It's never mm -hmm. me. <laughs> it's funny. My, be. I, I teach and my students are always, you know, coming to me with, with problems or things that they're doing. And I'm like, you know, I just said this to a person the other day. There was, uh, they had a group project and they weren't getting along. And mm -hmm. isn't that the case in a lot of group situations that you're just <laughs> not getting along and you can't seem to work with your group. Um, and every member of the group came to me and told me the same story, but from their perspective as the victim, mm, right. every single one of them had the exact same thing to say about mean text messages and feeling ghosted and doing all the work and having mm. their work replaced and getting talked down to every single one of them said the same thing, but every single one of them was the victim in a different way. And I was like, you know what I like to do in situations like this? I like to step back and play a little game called what could they possibly be going through? Mm-hmm. Mm. Empathy. Mm. Mindfulness helps us become more empathetic. Right. It helps us understand the other. Mm. Mindfulness also helps reduce depression, anxiety. It can also improve our mood, our sleep, and it can also uh, reduce our stress levels, which reduces cortisol, which means that we have a healthier heart and we have less chance of stroke and heart attack, which are, again, these are all correlational. There's no direct link to mindfulness and the reduction in heart attack. But when you reduce your stress, when you reduce your cortisol, you reduce the risk of all of those things. Mindfulness actually has been shown to reduce behavioral problems in children. And so there are some schools who have introduced a mindfulness practice in elementary schools. I had to do mindfulness. Did you? We did mindfulness, not in elementary. It was like middle school. Um, it was just because of this one particular teacher that I had that loved the practice of oh, like wow. being mindful. So every day or like every other day, whenever we had an assembly meeting, we would do like 
um, five minute, like two to three minutes, I think. It was really short. Just like close your eyes, try to be present. Think about like, oh my that's God, on. Wow. and if you don't, if like you, if that's too hard for you, just like sit there and just close your eyes. Did you, silent. did you like it? Did it, it was it awesome. Like- it was really cool. And I had a couple of teachers when I, in college that would do meditation and stuff, including you. Yep. <laughs> I do a little meditation before each of my classes. I ring a little I, gong. I had like three different teachers that did that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think it should be more present in our schools and be more of something that we ingrain in people from a young age to teach them how to embrace mindfulness and the other. And this idea that there are things happening outside in our environment that we should pay attention to. Um, it's also yeah. a survival skill. Right. Being mindful when you eat means that you're not shoving food in your mouth and not paying attention because <laughs> you don't want to choke on your food, taking right. mindful bites, being mindful when you drive, not reaching your destination and saying, how the fuck did I just get here? I don't even remember the drive home. <laughs> like right. I checked out on that drive home. I don't even remember how I got here. Being mindful when you walk so that you don't trip over a curb and break your fucking knee, Rolando. <laughs> Our coworker did that. <laughs> Idiot. Um, and <laughs> being mindful it can actually be a survival skill. Do you do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, even in the realm of relationships, if you have the presence to really discern who is in front of you and is this someone who has your best interest in mind, who has the capacity mm. to have your best interest in mind, you might be able to save yourself from an ugly divorce from Mm. a lot of fighting, from abuse, even violence. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding who that person is. Well, let's get in. Um, Oh, no, I don't have to hold up this card. Just to you. Uh, Because normally it's music that plays. Um, We're going to get into the stat of the day. It's the stat of the day. It's the stat of the day. Today, we're going to talk about how difficult dating has become. Okay. Uh huh. So <laughs> we're not, I mean, Mia can help with that. I, I think that Mia might get pretty close to this Ooh, I'm answer. So, yeah. um, taking into consideration why dating might be more difficult today, including physical risks, um, getting catfished, getting lied to, um, getting ghosted, getting ghosted. What percentage of Americans, and this is a study that was done by the Pew research in 2022. And they asked people, all people, people in relationships, people out of relationships, every gender, every sexual orientation. What percentage of Americans say dating is harder today than 10 years ago? Oh, no. But they asked every age group, every gender, what percentage of Americans say that dating is harder today than it was 10 years ago? Husband Kevin Weller. 25. 25%. Okay. Whoa. I'm going to say 82. 82. Okay. okay. Guest Marie. 75. 75. All right. I'm way low then, I think. Do you want to know the answer? Yes. Too bad. You have to wait. We do it at the end of the show. (laughs) I thought... (laughs) I was like, wow. She's gonna like, no, I, I don't give away the answer until the end oh. of the show. That way people stick it out. Sorry. Okay. I'm going to stick it out. 
<laughs> don't let me forget. Yeah. Don't let me forget. Yeah, no. The stat. Yeah, don't. I, let me. I totally too. have been catfished. Oh yeah, we've been catfished. We've yeah, been catfished too. Although there's a huge TV show. There's a whole TV show about being catfished. That was actually being... a good. Never mind. I'm so, not getting into that. It is a good show actually. Um. So the most often uh cited reason for people saying that dating is harder today um, is because of getting scammed. So yeah. people telling you that they're something that they're not, whether it yeah. be their gender, whether it be their height, whether it be their weight, whether it be their entire fucking appearance, their age, anything. So the the thought of getting scammed is one of the, the major components into why dating is harder. Um, other people cited uh, that they have to use technology now to date, and that makes it harder. It's more impersonal, which makes it harder. It's harder to meet people in a more casual nature. Um, and that societal gender roles and morals have all changed um, in the last 10 years. And it's it's so interesting because before, I've always assumed now, because so for context, Ashley and I, uh, when we met, eHarmony was literally just becoming a thing mm -hmm. and now and so there's really no like social online dating services really except for that one and to me when that happened i was like oh my god dating must be so easy now <laughs> but everything i hear now like anything on social media now that talks about it is it's quite the opposite yeah but i mean i think meeting people might be easier but i think Obviously, dating in general is much. I don't more think meeting people like, is easier. I'm I, sorry. I don't think meeting people is easier. I don't. I think that online, from every person that we have known that mm -hmm. has done online dating, I feel like they have a harder time finding someone to go on a date with. I mean, there's quantity, but the thing is like the right. quality. Yeah. And also, yeah. like the number of people that I'm matching with or whatever that are, we're connecting on these apps, the, percentage that actually turns into like an in-person date i've had two right. out of the like i don't know how many people i've matched and that's what mindful dating i think has a big play in online dating because you're mindful of who you're choosing to go on a date i'm with. very picky i will say that i don't i don't like the word picky i think the word mindful right can we replace picky with mindful dr marie I really like that. Thank yes, you. Mindful. Yeah. Selective. Yeah. You're, you're mindful. You're being selective. You're being I, mindful. I think that's part of the problem because you could say yes to everyone and just throw caution to the wind and date a bunch of people who you may or may not like. You know, you don't have a conversation mm -hmm. with them. Somebody matches with you and you say, yep, let's go. Mm -hmm. Are you going to get a lot of good people? It's kind of, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like I... I I don't know. It depends on what you're dating for. It depends on why you're dating. If you're going, if you're just you wanting to hang up? out with people, you want to hook up with people, or are you looking for a long-term mm -hmm. commitment? Dr. Well, Marie, that's can the you... first step, yeah. right? Like that's exactly coming right. Coming to that kind of clarity about why are you dating? I was just going to say, what <sighs> is segue. mindful dating? And I think that that's one of the points of mindful dating, isn't it? Knowing mm -hmm. what you want, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In your own words, what is mindful dating? So it's applying mindfulness and everything we just talked about, the presence, the awareness, the um, the ability to not just be reactive, but really have a response to whatever is coming at us, applying that to the process of dating. And I do have this six pillar uh, framework that I help people with. So. Six pillar framework? Do you mean... 
the deep dive masterclass six pillars of mindful dating yes oh yes. my god that just so oh my god to be my tip of the day, wow. tip of the day. So for my tip of the day, I wanted to touch upon Dr. Marie and her six pillars of mindful dating. So I'm going to name the pillars and then I'd love for you to discuss with the listener what that means for mindful dating. Deep visioning. So yes, deep visioning is about getting more clarity about what is your why? Why are you looking for what kind of connection? There's no right or wrong answer to that. And I think part of why dating has become more complex and more challenging is that we're, as a society, throwing away a lot of the box that we had mm. created about, okay, there's only one way to do this. It's obvious why people want to get in a relationship, what kind of relationship they're going to create, right. et cetera. Now, with these assumptions out the window, when we can kind of bend the rules of gender, sexual orientation, and relationship orientation, we have to really ask ourselves, like, what is my heart wanting right now? What mm -hmm. am I available for? So society determines gender norms, sexual norms, relationships norms, and we live in a very monogamous, heavy, very heteronormative society which is not, if you are heterosexual and monogamous, hell yeah, get it. Live your best life. Live your best fucking life. But that doesn't mean every single person wants to live your life. And so I think what makes dating hard is accepting that you may have a different idea of what you want from dating than what society tells you you should want. So your first your first uh, pillar is deep visioning and knowing what you want. I think a lot of people don't even know what they want when they go into dating. They're like, I don't know. I want to have, I want to sex. I want <laughs> sex. sex. Porn. Porn. <laughs> I want to sex. <laughs> I want to fuck. We all do. Right? I want yes. to be with someone. I want someone to talk to. I want companionship. I want validation validation <laughs> i want so dinner tell me i'm pretty i want dinner <laughs> right. that's a thing though right that's like, uncool by the way i hear you but it, it's um, a thing that people want and if they can tell themselves at least what they want in dating i feel like that's an amazing fucking pillar mm -hmm. pillar number two self-image confidence and inward dialogue. So self-image and confidence, I feel like go pretty hand in hand, mm -hmm. but can you explain to me inner dialogue? Yeah. So what are the stories and narratives you are telling yourself about your dateability, who you are as a potential date or partner? What are you telling yourself about your past relationships? What mm. narratives have you you know, constructed around that, that is such a big part of dating because these narratives are going to come up and they're going to taint what you create, what you attract. And by having this inward dialogue and understanding and, and being aware of your inner voice, basically saying, oh, I'm undateable or every time I'm in a relationship, I'm clingy and mm -hmm. just accepting mm -hmm. these things as fact rather than examining them and maybe changing those behaviors. We can, that's so powerful. Our own inner dialogue is so powerful in moving us 
forward in our dating lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Like someone might be um, an empty nester, they're divorced, they're 55, and they might tell themselves like, oh my gosh, I'm so undateable because I'm too old, or my last relationship was a failure. Mm -hmm. And all of these things might be things that they've heard, you know, in our society, sure. society which tells has us a lot that, of yeah. negative narratives about breakups and, you know, seeing divorce as failure. Mm -hmm. And it's not the only way to see it. You can change the narrative and say like, wow, I have learned so much through my past relationship, relationships. I am free. I'm an empty nester. I have availability in my life. I can love fresh. I can create a new story. Mm -hmm. I am in the best possible place to start something new. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Changing the negative to a positive. I think that's right. a lesson for every area of life for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Number three, dating strategy. Mm -hmm. What is that? So once you've clarified your intentions and you've created more positive, empowering narratives, then what are you going to do? What are the things that feel really aligned for you in terms of going and meeting new people? If you want to use online dating, that's great. Let's use online dating, but I don't recommend to just have that. You know, I would recommend buffing up your dating portfolio with other things like activities that you love, taking classes, workshops, being part of different communities, um, using different tools, basically. So Not you can... pigeonholing yourself into just online dating, but mm -hmm, maybe going mm -hmm. to your local brewery on trivia night and mm -hmm, getting yourself mm -hmm. out there or taking a class at the civic center or going back to school or yeah. joining a volleyball league or anything to get you into the social world where you may meet someone organically rather than through an online pl platform. Right. And, you know, I don't make a hierarchy between the two. Like oftentimes people say like, oh, I don't really want to meet someone online. That's so boring. I would rather meet someone organically. And they make this very romanticized mm -hmm. idea right. of what meeting someone in the world would be. Yeah. But to me, it's all kind of the same. These are ways to meet new people. And the it, relationship cool... starts, you know, the magic starts after you've met them. Yeah, I've definitely done that. Like romanticized. Oh, I want to meet someone in person. Well, yeah, because yeah. then you're like, oh, this is the story of how we met. Instead of we met on Hinge. <laughs> it's not even about like, oh, I can't like if I meet this person online then I can't tell my parents how we met. Like not that kind of a thing. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like it's harder to get a read on someone when you're meeting them on a screen versus when you're seeing. Oh, them yeah, in person. totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I, I feel like it is more about do I, I don't know this person yes i don't know i why I'm, would i trust them i'm honestly scared i'm gonna get kidnapped like i'm not even joking i bet <laughs> like are you kidding me with online dating like no shit <laughs> i oh, would be too I have a divergent opinion on that actually oh tell me oh please yeah. oh please i think that because you see someone online at first you have time to respond you have time mm. to take a deep breath. You can be more mindful tune, of your responses. Yes, yes you can be <laughs> Instead more mindful. Of right you can tune into yourself, mm. analyze your feelings, analyze your thoughts, really like look at what am I reading from this person's profile? What kind of energy are they giving out from their photo, from their body language, from their gaze? I think we can see more through a photo 
than we give ourselves credit for. What if, but what if someone falls into the over analytic aspect? Like, <laughs> do you see how there's, yeah. a, it looks like this there may have been photoshopped. Do you see that little smudge <laughs> in the corner? I bet you that was an ex-girlfriend. Like mm -hmm. when you start to analyze over and like there's a there's a fine line between saying okay let me see about this person let me be mindful looking through this profile it also leads into number four which is online dating guidance right. that's your fourth pillar mm -hmm. so i feel like we're sinking into that by talking mm -hmm. about this but how do you guide someone through mindful online dating yeah so i would say about four steps in that realm of what i would call mindful swiping one is, swipe. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound very intuitive, right? Yeah, mindful swiping. That. Mindful swiping. Yeah. Instead of just like, dum, dum, dum. sometimes my friends will just hand me their phone. Like, here, you want to play? And I'm like, yep. I, I use it as a game sometimes. <laughs> Let me just bloop, bloop, bloop. And then they'd be like, I don't know why this lumberjack just messaged me. And I'm like, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> because Ashley likes lumberjack. Because I like lumberjack. Yeah, she does. That's hilarious. Beard, check. Bearded. Flannel, check. Yep. Dog, Dude, fish. <laughs> no fish. <laughs> no, Doctor Marie. Oh, no fish, fish in the profile. No fish. That is so cliche. Dog. Yes. Yes. Fish. <sighs> no. <laughs> and they're not even for me. I'm married. They're, I'm just swiping for my own preferences on my friend's dating profile. Poor things. Mm -hmm. Whatever. It's fine. Um, how do so, you... I'm sorry, I interrupted you. We got on a tangent about lumberjacks. Ew. I know, right? That's very tempting. It's easy. But yeah, ritualize your use of the apps. Don't do you mean? swipe while you're like distracted in your car oh, at the yeah. stop sign, at the grocery store, oh, oh, on the oh. toilet. Like make room to sit down, take a deep breath, maybe play some nice music, connect with your intentions, and then use the apps a little bit slower than you normally would. And take the time to tune into yourself, stay present, stay with yourself when you're swiping so that mm -hmm. you're, I'm not saying overanalyze, because I know some people will tend towards that and never give anyone a chance because yeah. they'll find the nitpicky, you know, reason not to. But... He's wearing purple. Why is he wearing purple? Does he think does he's that a king? Mean? I think that he thinks he's egotistical. I think that we're done with this. Like, <laughs> come on. I've never even met the guy. This How relationship many... is over. Relationship How is many over. women out there have looked at the men's astrological sign and said, nope, I'm oh. not going to do it? So I bet a lot. <laughs> oh, Mia. I've done that. <laughs> Maybe once or twice. I'm not going to get into it. If, but... if he's Ooh, a cancer, his... I can't do that. Uh, his sorry. rising is in Libra. There's no way. Like I'm just so sorry. If he's a if he's a male Pisces, I cannot do it. I have trauma. I'm I've got PTSD from male Pisces. No, we're gonna go back to pillar number one. Sorry. No, pillar number two, <laughs> which is your inward dialogue about your past That's very true. relationship. That's, yeah, I know. You know, after hearing these, I'm like, I really thought I was doing the most, but I'm doing the bare fucking minimum. Like, goddamn. <laughs> I looked over at Mia and she was like, Yep, that's she's the, taking yep. notes, mm. by the way. I'm taking a lot um, of notes. So okay, so so be ritualistic about swiping. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're in a good headspace to do so. Exactly. What else about online dating can be mindful? So make an online profile that is actually authentic. So oh. choose an assortment of photos that Ribs display in. a lot of different sides of you that really feel like you, that feel good to you, not just 
your good angle or mm -hmm. the pictures that you think you look cutest in, but really create a vibe that feels like you, that feels Oof. like representative of what you want to attract as well. Like you're creating this magnet oh, wow. to attract your people, the people yeah. who are going to resonate with you. So it's not just about putting yourself out there and saying, look how cute I am at mm -hmm. this restaurant holding this glass of wine. It's, mm -hmm. I want someone who will drink wine with me. Here I am at a winery. Or it's not just look how cute I am on a beach in my bikini. It's, I want someone to enjoy the outdoors with me. Here I am learning how to surf, like making sure that people know you're attracting you're attracting who's going to come to your profile. So if you're attracting a bunch of douchebags, <laughs> maybe revisit what you put on your profile. Yeah. I actually have a question about that. Like, do you, think, Dr. Marie, we have a question have a from question, the Dr. audience. Marie. Can we ask you a question, please? Do you think that. like the specific app has anything to do with it? Ooh. For example, I'm thinking of like, I have a profile on Tinder versus I have a profile hinge. And I feel like my hinge profile is a lot more authentic. It's a lot more like interesting. I don't know, just because of what I've maybe heard surrounding the apps, like what, some of my friends are like, no, Hinge is, is like better for actually meeting people. Tinder's just for hooking up. Do you feel that there's a difference between the app? Yes and no. I mean, yes, apps have different reputations and Tinder has a reputation for being more of a hookup e app and Hinge, you know, their tagline is the app that's meant to be deleted. Yep. So oh. they have this branding that promotes the idea of a relationship. And that said, you can create a really authentic profile on Tinder. There's nothing that prevents yeah. you from doing that. It's like a placebo effect because you think Tinder is for hooking up. Capitalism, baby. You make a profile that's <laughs> geared towards hooking up, yeah. whereas you think Hinge is better for long term. So you make a profile yeah. that's better for long term. Or like, you know, there's right. there's like Christian Mingle. It's geared towards people who are religious. Right. right. So they're probably going to have more like. Bible verses in there. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yep. Uh, number five, dating behaviors and communication. So communication, like, I don't know if anybody knows this, um, but communication is like the most important thing oh gosh. when it comes to a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And also I want to just tie in your work with consensual non-monogamy really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of guest speakers in my classes and on my podcast who discuss consensual non-monogamy. Dr. Julie Hamilton being one of them. Love her. Yes. Dr. Justin Lay Miller, who I love, uh, oh, was another. Yeah. Um, and Consensual non-monogamy and individuals who practice polyamory are in the scientific world. Research actually has shown yep. individuals who practice consensual non-monogamy have better communications echelons higher than their monogamous counterparts. There's no way it would work if you didn't. I, I know. Oh, no, no, it, there's you it, put, you can't do it down. without communication. <clears throat> what can monogamous couples learn from consensually non monogamous couples about dating and communication? What can we take from that community and their communication and apply it to the dating world? Mm -hmm. Well, one is intentionality rather than default. So in the monogamous world, people usually make a lot of assumptions, you know, it's that relationship yeah. escalator, you meet, you start kissing, you become ultimately exclusive. What are we like? What is our together. label? Yeah, I know. What are we? Um, you know, we, we, we have this set of assumptions. 
in non-monogamy, people don't assume. They actually talk. What is the expectation? What is yeah. the hope? What is the That's desire? So what is the availability? Mm-hmm. What do you what want? You, dig, you really dig in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you like? What do you not like? Exactly. There's, Breaking down um, that expectation feels like it would be very scary for mm-hmm. a person who wants a monogamous long-term relationship. It feels like something that would feel foreign to Mm -hmm. them, to Mm -hmm. remove that escalator of assumptions, to remove the idea of we get on this escalator and it means in six months we're engaged and in a year we're married and in two years we have kids. Like this idea that I have to have kids before I'm 30, this idea Mm -hmm. that if Mm -hmm. I don't have a husband and children. A lot of pressure. (laughs) Right. Like, Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with these desires and these expectations, but they have to be voiced now. They can't just be assumed. So So it really pushes people to have those conversations and really ask, okay, what are you looking for? What, what are you on this app for? What, what is your idea of a good relationship or what is your timeline, et cetera. So people have to communicate upfront. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then number six, managing emotions, Mm -hmm. which I think (laughs) could be its own pillar and Dating transitions. Do you mean breakups? <laughs> breakups or escalating a relationship. Oh, like when okay. you start dating someone and you just both feel like, oh, wow, yeah, we want to take that to the next level. What does that look like? How do you transition to a more committed, more involved, more engaged relationship? How do you and create having a more mindful conversations surrounding mm-hmm. that transition? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then managing emotions. So is that basically like the idea that you lower your expectations or you voice what you want, what you need so that your expectations are met without making assumptions that people just know your expectations? Well, it's more about that personal work that you have to do when you're dating and faced with some challenging emotions. Um, or even excited emotions, you know, like you're going to go through the roller coasters of sometimes feeling super excited because you've met the person that you are imagining is going to be your life partner and you're going to have babies with, and you're already imagining yourself, you know, marrying them after the first or second date, or you get rejected and then you're devastated and you're starting to tell yourself, oh my God, I suck. I am so undateable. I am the worst possible date. I knew this always happens to me. And you start going down that rabbit hole. So how do you manage those ups and downs while yeah. staying with yourself? Yeah. I think uh, another thing that I had been looking at when it came to mindful dating was being a good listener. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some suggestions on first dates um, and to listen more than you speak. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times on first dates, we get so uncomfortable. We don't know what to do. And some people are just talkers when they get I, I guilty. Um, whenever I'm uncomfortable in a situation, I'm like, ah, I'm just going to tell a story about all the things that I have ever done in my whole entire life. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, and then also to remind, remember to set boundaries. And I think that that comes, um, I think that's really important when it comes to dating is knowing what your boundaries are ahead of time um, and making sure that you have boundaries, even for things that you don't 
know if they're going to happen. So don't assume that by going on a first date, you're not going to have sex or you're not going to hook up. Don't assume that you are, but Mm -hmm. have boundaries in place if that were to happen. How far do you want to go on a first date? Do you want to just see how you feel about the person? Do you want to get a vibe? Make sure you bring protection with you in case something does take place and you want to hook up with this person setting boundaries around um, paying, right? Like I don't want someone paying for me. I'm going Dutch. I'm going to lay that out there in advance or I invited you to this restaurant. So I would like to pay um, mm-hmm. if you want. I'm, I'm very much want to pay for this meal because I invited you here or setting boundaries about the types of topics you will talk about. I, I don't want to talk about politics on a first date. I don't want to talk about religion on a first date. I just want to get to know this person. Um, any other tips for setting boundaries? Well, I mean, I think it's more about staying present than necessarily trying to anticipate every possible situation that can mm. happen. I mean, it's good to anticipate the big ones, like you said, you know, money, sex, these kinds of things. And yeah. Do some pre-thinking. Absolutely. But also the boundary with yourself that you're going to stay present to yourself throughout right. these dating activities. That if you start feeling uncomfortable, you're going to try to check in with yourself. Maybe you need to go to the bathroom for a second and mm-hmm. check in and be like, how am I feeling right now? Yeah. How, how do I, I feel at? about this person? Yeah, what is coming doing like for me? an internal checklist of how are they making me feel? Mm-hmm. Um, how am mm-hmm. I feeling myself? Do I, how is like taking the surroundings? Do I like this restaurant? Do I feel comfortable? Am I having a good time? Right. <laughs> am I bored? <laughs> right? Or am I in performance mode? Like if Ooh. they're talking and all you're thinking about is, oh my gosh, like how do I look? Or what am I going to say next? It's easy to get ahead of yourself into that obsession with what do they think of me Mm -hmm. rather than actually being present and curious and open to seeing what wants to be born here in this connection. That's amazing. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about mindful breakups or how mindfulness can help us um, when we've been rejected. Um, We're also going to give you the stat of the day when we come back. So make sure you Plutôt que d'être ce passant qui traverse le temps de temps en temps. 
Alors je pars à la dérive, mon lit est un navire Un atelier où je vais pour l'éternité Voyage dans l'instant présent, je ne sais pourquoi je suis si triste J'aimerais appeler quelqu'un, mais qui Dieu Je me sens seul, viens, je viens tout Welcome back, fellow humans, to What's Your Position podcast. We are joined by Dr. Marie Tuin, who is a relationship coach, and we are talking about mindful dating. Uh, before we went to break, we gave you my tip of the day, which was the six pillars of mindful dating that Dr. Marie does a masterclass on. Where can the listeners find the masterclass, by the way? They can go either to my Instagram at love underscore insight underscore dating, and it's in my link in my bio, or they can go on my website, loveinsight-dating.com slash masterclass. Nice. It's only $25. What you it's the best 25 bucks you can spend on your dating life. How many classes? Just one class? Yeah. Perfect. How long For does it now. take? It's an hour and a half. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, we're going to talk now about how to be mindful in our breakups. So breakups are... Uh, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're so smart. I'm going to tell you the stat of the day first. Okay. All right. All right. So I'm going to tell you the stat of the day and then we're going to talk about breakups. So the stat I asked you was dating has obviously gotten harder in the last 10 years. What percentage of Americans polled in a Pew Research poll said that dating is significantly harder than it was 10 years ago? The answer is 47%. Oh. However, women answered 68%. Oh. So, Dr. Marie, you were yeah. close. Whereas men, only 30% of men okay. said wow. that dating is harder. So Kevin was close too. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of people who are in long-term relationships like Kevin and I, we don't know what dating's like. Like, we just don't. Right. Like, we're just not in that realm we didn't like he said earlier we we didn't do online we never i we never did online dating we met at a restaurant and mm -hmm. all of our friends met through friends or in college or at work um and so i think that a lot of people may just be a little tone deaf to how difficult dating is um and then older people who were polled only seven percent of people over the age of 65 said that dating is harder than it was 10 years ago <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so anyone who's over 65 and listening, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> get your head out your old ass. It's hard to date in this world. Okay, man, Mia, you said 85%. And I feel like if they had broken it down more by age, younger people would have been up in that higher echelon, mm -hmm. especially with like COVID. Oh, yeah. like don't like... Yeah. I mean, I wasn't actively going on dates or anything, but they're like you hear about people who were doing video dates as first dates right. during COVID and like getting to know somebody via that or like they went into COVID in a relationship and came out of it out of it a relationship. Yeah, you know, right. Like yeah, that. a lot of people. I think that a lot of people general, broke up. But... Also, <laughs> COVID kind of like put the seed into our minds of like, I can't be physically near someone like right. it's it's like warning signs are blinking yeah, yeah no. we knew somebody that went on their first date and they met in a park and they sat on 
<clears throat> the opposite ends of a bench. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's the beginning of a rom-com. It is. Right. No, they right met now. online. They went to a park. Yeah. They went and sat on opposite ends of a bench, and then they had a picnic dinner in his truck, and they sat on his tailgate. In his yeah. no. no. For other reasons. Yeah, it had nothing to do with him. Yeah, let's it's, not get into no, that. No, that's another fucking episode. So 88% of people <laughs> surveyed by the Pew Research in 2021 said that they have been dumped by a long-term partner. 88% of people have been dumped. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you have been dumped, you are not... 88%, like, Dr. Marie, that's a, a big fucking number. Yeah. Like, that's a massive amount of people. When when you're surveying, you don't expect to see that unless you say how many of you have driven a car? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how many people have had sex? How many people right. have eaten a cheeseburger? Like these, <laughs> these are the times when we're seeing like the numbers in the 90s. 88% of people have been dumped by a long-term partner and the Pew Research says long-term partner is nine months or longer. Mm-hmm. So that is the number that they used to determine a long-term relationship. I have seen long-term relationship defined as six months and also as a year. So I kind of enjoy that nine month mark. What would you mm-hmm. define a long-term relationship as? What do you think? Oh gosh, that's a great question. I never really thought about it, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think nine months is a good marker. Yeah. I mean, six months feels still kind of new. I just babyish a little. Nine months. Think Somehow about it as a there's child. There's something more substantial about yeah. nine months. Yeah. I feel like there's not a whole lot of difference between six months and nine months as a baby. I feel like there's a big difference uh-huh. between six months and a year. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like at a year, you're starting to walk, you're starting to mm-hmm. say shit. As a six month old, you're kind of just ahead that laws. Yeah, that yeah you don't really. Searching for you're food. Just there. You just exist. You're a blob. Yeah. What, nine months, you can do some more. Like, can you do shit at nine months? I don't know about that. fuck? I don't know. Um, women are twice as likely to be the dumper. Mm-hmm. Than the dumpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah, like I'm two Anne. for two. <laughs> wow. <laughs> She's all bye. Oh my God. Bye. Uh, so, how can we be more mindful when we get broken up with or when we break up with somebody? Um, a lot of people said that they think that breaking up needs to be done in person. Um, majority of people oh. think that this is the only way you should break up with someone who, who some... you're in a long-term relationship with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not necessarily someone you've gone on like, ah, fucking date. What? Mia sounds like, it looks like um, Mia's broken up. What did text. you do? Uh, yeah, the last has. boyfriend I had, I broke up with him on a song. I think phone call might be better than text. Wasn't he okay. in a completely a different time? No, he had actually, okay. Long yeah, weren't you in different short. states? He was in a different state. We were doing long distance okay, yeah. for that, half of our relationship. I'm sorry. That's acceptable. Okay, good. You're not going to fly. Good, that makes me feel bad. Hours <laughs> that makes me feel No, like yeah. when we broke up though, it was like the day he flew home. Ooh. Like he went home and then you broke up with him after yeah. he had left? No, Did no, you- no. Like he, like he came home and then we were supposed to meet up and I was like... <laughs> Yeah, that's not going to happen. Oh, you can oh. get fucked. It wasn't like, I don't know. I feel a little bit bad about it. I probably should have met up with him, but he was like, I don't want to meet up if you're just going to break up with me. And I'm like, well, that's what this is. Oh, buddy. no. Okay, so it was kind of out there. And yeah, I mean, hello, it. we were doing long distance. I can't do long distance. I've learned that now. I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel guilty about I that. I would. You if would you take. like emailed or you're mindful him, now. I'm being mindful <laughs> that I know that is a boundary that I... No long distance. <laughs> How can we be mindful dumpers, Dr. Marie? How can we mindfully, <laughs> mindful dumping. mindfully break up with someone? 
Listening to this. So, yeah. And I think a lot of these things, you can't really have a rule in advance. You know, it's a game time decision. It's about really feeling into the energy, into the dynamic that you've created with this person and mm. what is leading you to break up. Um, but I think it's important to be able to deliver a no, a rejection that is connected. Oftentimes, when we know we're about to reject someone, whether it's a, after a couple dates or after, you know, mm -hmm. nine months or a year, we brace ourselves because we're ready for heartbreak. We're ready for guilt. We're getting ready for all of this flood of difficult emotions. I mean, it's not easy to break up with someone, even though, no. of course, it's probably harder to be dumped than to be the dumper. I, I, I don't mean, know, man. I don't, it depends. It it's depends. not, yeah. it's not easy either way. So when we brace ourselves for those hard emotions, we shut down. Yeah. We become icy cold or we become a mess or, you know, it's hard to stay regulated. It's hard to, it's hard to stay, you know, present in our body with ourselves yeah. and also to be yeah. able to deliver the news in a way that's connected that's respectful. That yeah, is. I was just going to say kind. a way that's respectful and kind. Yes. I think that those mm -hmm. are two very important things when we're talking about breaking up with someone. I mean, it's all dependent. Like you said, this, this has so many variables, you know, if the person yeah. was abusive or was a right. gaslighter, like being respectful of human beings in general, I think is important, regardless of, I always follow the motto, treat other people the way you want to be treated. And mm -hmm. yes, I've had people gaslight me. Doesn't mean I fucking gaslight them in return, right? That's just not how I treat other human beings. Mm -hmm. So being respectful mm -hmm. is one thing. Right. I think being kind to a point, um, maybe not to a fault, right? Mm -hmm. Kind where you are using kind language, not bye motherfucker, but <laughs> like, you know, hey, Mm -hmm. Just don't see this going any further. I wish you the best in your endeavors. Bye. Uh, however you need to say it where you feel safe, especially if it's a situation where the person might be volatile or they can't regulate their emotions. I feel like that's a situation that may warrant a phone call I was gonna mm -hmm. say rather mm -hmm. than an in-person breakup, right? Because you, right. if you are fearful of how that person's going to react, it may be better to do it via phone or via email or like at least with a group of friends or something or I don't know. yeah somewhere where you are in public so that you know that you aren't going to get i don't know about a public breakup i don't either but like what's your thoughts dr <laughs> Marie? If, if you want to break up with someone who is like situation. volatile or like you know is going to have a negative or a I don't even want to say it like even if it's a, so not bad. necessarily abusive, but maybe <laughs> someone who might grovel or who might, you know, fall apart or someone who might try to use emotional tactics to get you back. Someone who might throw themselves at you to get you back. Someone who might, you know, um, use any any sort of emotional or physical tactic to get you back. Would you say phone? Would you say public space? What do you think is the best place for a breakup? Again, I hesitate to do a rule here because mm. every situation is different. Um, typically, I think a phone call is better because there's privacy still. Yeah. You're able to still have a boundary of distance. 
um, you know, assuming you're not living with the person. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> because that's different. I mean, if you live level. with the person, that's, yeah, a whole other level. And if you're really genuinely afraid for your safety, yeah, maybe then you need to have a friend there. Maybe you need to... Yeah. Make sure that you have an exit strategy if the person, you know, starts hitting you. Like, you know, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of situations. Hopefully not a lot of our listeners are in those Hopefully. kinds of situations. I was more thinking of emotional manipulation. I know mm -hmm. that, you know, if somebody doesn't want to be broken up with, there's a lot a of... A really severe one, like, I'm going to kill myself if you break I'm up. I'm going to kill myself yeah. if you break up with me. Like, that's one that I have heard friends say, like, you know, if I, I can't live without you. Like, that's... In that situation, like, if you are on the phone with that person, that is a really difficult thing to hear over the phone. It's a very difficult thing to hear in person. If you're in public, you could be like, cool, let me call the, you know, police. <laughs> let me get you some help. We're here. Yay. Maybe break right. up with them at a hospital. <laughs> <Not> that way. <laughs> wow. You're already there. You have here. Mm -hmm. You got the exit strategy right. in place. Yeah. Here we are. Well, what uh, are you doing at the emergency? What are we doing at the ER? Well, I have something to tell you. <laughs> You're not gonna like it. Girl, this is a psych war. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, my gosh. Anyway. Anyway. Moving on. Uh, what do you think about when individuals who are the dumpy? Mm -hmm need to be more mindful. I feel like the first thing I want to talk about is not making it about yourself, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not taking it personally. But how? I, with how that. do you do that? It's not you. It's me. <laughs> as soon as you... <laughs> I'm serious. You can't. It's not about you. Am I right? It's not about you. Well, I mean, be. it's about the relationship, you know, right. you can't just turn the finger back and say, oh, yeah. it's only about you. Mm -hmm. It's not about me, because, of course, the relationship has two, two people. people. Well, sometimes and, it has more. <laughs> yeah, or more, at least in two people. This, in this scenario, let's say there's two people. And it's too easy to just say like, oh, it's all your fault anyway. You don't know what you're missing. You're a jerk. You know, it's too easy to create that kind of narrative just to avoid the pain of mm -hmm. feeling like maybe I did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's not about turning the finger towards ourselves completely and say, oh, it was all my fault. Mm -hmm. But mindfulness will ask of us to create a balanced narrative. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. What was my part in this? Mm -hmm. What could I have done differently? Mm -hmm. Or what, what can I learn? Have, what can I learn? What can I take from this? One of my favorite phrases um, when it comes to life and mindfulness is take what serves you and leave the rest. Mm -hmm. And if we take what serves us, if we take from a relationship that I can't do long distance, mm -hmm. that's what we learned from that relationship that serves us. That's what we should take from it. Not, oh, I don't want to date a Pisces. <laughs> okay, you know what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with that. So you know. no, you're right, though. You're right. I, it's, it's like... I think it's Mia, great. But you're not the only one. No, no, no. Yeah. I know. And I don't think I am. I don't, I just nope. feel really right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> if that's great in theory, and I think it's fantastic advice, but it's just like, how am I supposed to practice that? It's so difficult for me to just get started doing that. What's like a first step I can take? I don't know. 
What is the first step one can take in not taking things personally? Well, I think we need to reframe the whole idea of breakups as a failure altogether. <laughs> Interesting. Because mm. I think we grow up with this idea that relationships is good, breakups is bad. You know, just very binary idea. Yeah, that yeah that's a breakup very true. is always a failure on either one person or the other. Like, even the idea of saying, like, oh, what should I have done differently? assumes that it would have been better for this relationship to last forever, right. which is a very arbitrary idea and kind of an outdated idea in my book. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. It's like not every relationship is supposed to keep no. going forever. No. Sometimes there are seasons in our lives that ask for one relationship because we have lessons to learn. We have, you know, opportunities to open our hearts in certain ways with this person. And then it runs its course. And maybe we find excuses like, oh, it was because of this or that. But what if we just threw away the idea that anyone is really at fault and mm -hmm. that there's really a an inherent failure? Badness. Yeah. And look at it like, well, we tried our best. <laughs> no, I think, yeah. If we put our best foot forward. I actually, mm -hmm. I actually think that that's beautiful by saying this relationship has ran its course. This mm -hmm. relationship served its purpose. This relationship mm -hmm. has gone on as long as it's going to go. And right. I don't think that there's anything necessarily like detrimental in saying, I've learned all I can learn from you. I've gotten all I can get. And I don't think that we are going to be compatible moving forward. Mm -hmm. Because there are people who you will be compatible with. There are people who will grow with you and who will change with you. Um, but there's so much that goes into it. It's like a dance. It has to be this perfect timing of cogs in a wheel. And the person has to be willing to dance and move with you and bend and change and get know, out how many of times that we've gone through that uh, multitude oh, of times. I can't even count. Like yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Like I'm literally yeah. picturing our relationship and the absolute like the highs. Walls and and like, the, oh, yeah, we man, gotta, we got to do something. The highs and the lows and the, the moments where you think this is it. This is mm -hmm. the breaking point. And then it's not. And it's like, right. you know, in your heart, this isn't it. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't the end. I, I have, we can, I have the ability to compromise, compromise change. or change. I can change. I can shift. I can, um, remove this, uh, this ideal that I had and, and move forward in a way that, that works for both parties or, I did something and I need to take ownership of it or we've done some, we've gotten to a point where there's animosity or bitterness or resentment, which I, are horrible places to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're at the end of re resentment is uh, just a relationship killer. I, it's, mm -hmm. When you begin to resent your partner, you really need to be aware um, if you start to criticize your partner to other people, if you start to uh, find yourself becoming irritable when your partner enters the room, if you find that you are annoyed with everything that comes out of their mouth, this is how resentment begins to form. And it's a weed. It's the yeah. ugliest and most toxic and constricting weed that you could possibly grow in your relationship garden. And it needs to be cut. And 
you need to either go to therapy um, or have a real open conversation with your partner about where the resentment stems from, what needs aren't being met, what expectations aren't being met. And if that person isn't willing to meet you where you're at and discuss potential exit strategies for the current relationship status, it may be time to move on. Um, Luckily, my husband and I have gone through dozens, countless, dozens of, of moments of, Hey, Hey, something sucks. We're both Mm -hmm. fucking, Mm -hmm. there's some, (laughs) there's some shit that we're doing it wrong. (laughs) We fucking fix it. And, (laughs) and and it's, you either say yes or you say no. And the relationship either continues or it doesn't. And I like to tell my students when I talk about relationships, Please don't think that every relationship you get in is the end of your mm. relation. Like this is the, this is it. Every relationship, this is going to suck. Every relationship ends. Every mm-hmm. single one. Mm-hmm. Every relationship ends either because you break up or because somebody dies. Right. You will never have a relationship that doesn't end. So prepare yourself for the inevitable. And I love this idea that you propose that we make breakups. Let's change that word too. Instead of picky, mindful, instead of breakup, I really like transition. I Me love that too. you use that. Yeah. Me too. A relationship transition. Yeah. Yes. Because it can apply to that relationship, either transitioning to a new phase mm-hmm. or dissolving. Right. And not everything that dissolves is bad. I like Mm -hmm. Alka-Seltzer sometimes. That dissolves, right? Sugar. Sugar dissolves. Sugar's great. (laughs) Just because something has an end doesn't mean it's bad. It could be every time something ends, something begins. And if we look at it in that regard and we look at how we can learn from that relationship, I feel like that is your first step. Yeah, I think that's the first thing is finding the good and finding Mm -hmm. the lesson and finding the why again at the beginning of a relationship will you find the why why Mm -hmm. am i getting into a relationship what do i want from a relationship when you end a relationship why why did the relationship end what did i learn from that relationship how can i apply this to future relationships do you agree or do you think that we shouldn't apply past relationships to future relationships what do you think well i think we should not necessarily predict what's going to happen in the future Uh based on the past but we should take the lessons from every relationship we're in and really equip ourselves about you know like what skills do i want to learn what qualities do i want to embody more of like oh maybe i didn't have the fortitude to put my ego aside in this relationship and I created a lot of fighting that didn't need to be there. Let me now try to embody more humility in this next relationship. Stuff like that. Being mindful also means that you're willing to admit you have faults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that that's hard for a lot of people in our society um, Which is surprising because everybody. <laughs> and there's no perfect everybody person. There's not a single person a on this planet. A multitude of faults. No. Yeah, I mean, we're coming full circle to this idea of like a victim mentality. We yeah, were talking we about in the beginning. Yeah. And you know what drives me crazy? Instagram psychology. 
Oh, God. It's all about <laughs> other people are toxic. Other people are narcissistic. What do you do when you're dealing with a narcissist? You never hear, what do you do when you have narcissistic tendencies? Right. What happens when you're the narcissist in the right. relationship? What happens when you notice lack of kindness in yourself? Can you notice your lack of kindness? If you started really putting that mirror towards you, you would get a lot further than just constantly pointing the finger. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that it's also important to mention um, in breakups, if if your sadness, either as the dumper or the dumpy, um, there's some random statistic that says it takes 11 weeks to get over a breakup. I love this. I love this arbitrary <laughs> fucking thing. I don't fucking know. I don't oh know. How they it. What are your measurements? Can I have your references, please, to know where you got this number from? <laughs> 11 weeks. Obviously, everyone is different and every breakup is different, especially, you know, if it's, I mean, if I was with somebody for, I have, I've been with my husband for 18 years. I don't even want to say what I'm about to say, so I'm not going to say it. If someone has been with someone for 20 years and they get broken up with and they don't see it coming, mm -hmm. that would probably take a lot longer than 11 weeks to yeah, get over. Get blindsided. Yeah. God. However, sometimes they do see it coming and mm -hmm. they start grieving the relationship way before oh, the separation right. actually happens. And by the Resentment. time it happens, they're kind of ready to move yeah. on. Just, like, so they just, go. yeah, they're it like, depends. I'm glad to yeah. see this. Go. Yeah, that's that. I don't even know what's worth worse mm -hmm. apathy or complete and total immersion and emotion. Um, but for the end of a relationship, I think the point that we want to make is that a period at the end of a sentence is not the end of the conversation. It's just the end of that sentence. And that relationship can just be a beautiful chapter in a book. That relationship can be a beautiful book in a series. Mm -hmm. It can be a beautiful series in a library. So you can fill so many books with sentences, paragraphs, chapters, and entire books of a beautiful relationship. It doesn't mean you have to throw everything out the window just because it ended. I think that's a really beautiful takeaway. Thank you. Right, Dr. right. Yeah. What if we framed the end of a relationship as a transformative event rather mm -hmm. than a traumatic event? Mm -hmm. yeah. Beautiful. Oh, that's so lovely. Can we talk a little bit about being mindful in a relationship and how we can um, take some mindfulness practices into long-term relationships, how we can be present with our partners? Mm, I love that. Yes. Yay. I mean, mindful dating doesn't have to end once you're in a committed <laughs> relationship because you want to be present with a partner that you're still getting to know. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know that after being together for 18 years, yeah. you need to keep getting to know each other every yeah. single day because I you're just changing, learned something about right? Kevin the other day. What the fuck was it? I don't know what it was. Or maybe he <laughs> learned something about me and we were both uh -huh. like, well, that's a gem. <laughs> mm. That's a fucking rarity. All right, mm. we'll take that. I will pocket that one. That's cool. Right. Yeah. Being focused on your partner, uh, being kind to your partner, um, being present in the presence of your partner, mm -hmm. making sure that you set aside time for them in the day. Right. Um, how do you feel about love languages? 
Ooh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're helpful Mm -hmm. in really realizing like, how am I wired? What am I wired to receive love in what form? And I don't think we take it far enough though. I think oftentimes we stop there and we require from our partners that they love us the way we want to be loved Mm -hmm. rather than learning many different languages. And I'll give you personal example like Please, my husband oh, I love a personal example <laughs> my husband has the opposite love languages uh, than me you know me i'm too. words of affirmation oh fancy i'm word of affirmation and um touch and he's acts of service and quality time So at the beginning, I was always asking him, like, please give me romantic words. You know, I need more of that. And it always felt a little forced Mm -hmm. and it helped. But I just knew I was trying to, like, twist his arm to give me something in a form that was not natural to him. Almost like asking me to speak French to you during this interview. I could. (laughs) It would be awful. (laughs) But I could. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right, right. I'm not going to ask you to. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm going to speak your language. (laughs) Right. And this is how I frame it. When I talk to my students, I'm like, look, you don't have to be fluent Mm -hmm. in the language, but you would never date someone when neither of you spoke each other's language. You need some common phrases that you're able to um, use comfortably. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to be fluent in quality time to show up and be present in quality time. You don't have to be fluent in acts of service, um, which is my fattest of mm. love language. I'm, I'm like, literally, I don't even have a secondary love language. Mine's really oh, wow. just acts of service. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I just really like when things are done. I, yeah. And I do things like I love do like cooking is my mm. love language. I say it all. Mm. I love to cook for people. Right. Um, but when someone's like, oh, I've done this thing. My husband, the other day I came home and he's like, I unpacked from camping and I did your laundry and I folded it. And I'm going to put away everything in the kitchen. So please don't be worried about it. And I almost cried. Like I almost died on my couch because I had had a very long day and did not want to fucking deal Mm. with it. And he had done it all. And felt so loved. I did. I felt literally seen and loved in that moment. And I, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he, it's not that he did it and it was exciting for him. He doesn't want to do laundry. Who the fuck wants to do laundry? Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to do laundry. Mm -hmm. But I know that he did it for me yes. and maybe not in a way that was passionate, but it was a way that was, I'm going to do this for her because she's had a long day and we just came home from vacation and she's been working and then she went and taught and this is going to yep. make the rest mm-hmm. of her day much better. Right. That's exactly why I did it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. You don't have otherwise to- I would just let that shit lay all over the place. <laughs> If it was me, I'm like, whatever. I just, I don't really care. And I would have have internal panic attacks for the entire week. And I was like, what? I'm going to do something nice. Wait, Mia, what's your love language? I don't know. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on like the stage of the relationship I'm in. Because I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's like weird to say, but I guess, I guess I like acts of service. I like it when people do things for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I like quality time. Mm Mm-hmm. Physical touch is nice. So you like all of them. I like all of them. So you're bilingual? I'm trilingual. <laughs> I mean, I, but again, it's like I would I would rather not do physical touch up front. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like I want to th- get to know that person. And once I feel like an emotional connection, then yeah. I'm more ready for like that language. That makes sense. Then we can start speaking that language. Yeah. 
I don't know. Did you say your husband was physical touch, Dr. Marie? No, I was physical touch. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, we learned to speak each other's languages and also trust love coming mm -hmm. from the other person in a different language. Yes. That's the thing to me. That's the key. It's like at first I didn't trust he loved me because right. he didn't write me letters. <laughs> oh, that's so, And then that's I had to learn brilliant. to actually accept that, oh my gosh, you know, him wanting to spend time with me or him doing nice things for me <laughs> is his love. And I can trust that. That's beautiful. So mm -hmm. it's like being aware what your languages are and then also being aware how your partner is expressing. Yeah, because yeah. guys are not going to pick up on that. No, very well. <laughs> no, when I learned I, what Kevin's that. love language was, which it, it, it switches, sometimes it's quality time, sometimes it's physical touch, sometimes yeah. it's words of affirmation. So mm -hmm, he goes mm -hmm. between the three. It's usually physical touch and words of affirmation. So when he sends me messages and tells me nice things, I personally don't need that. But mm -hmm, I know mm -hmm. that that's how he is expressing his love to me. And it's like a hug. Now that I know what his language is, I'm like, oh, my I husband know, only is me. hugging me. Yeah, it's only <laughs> taken me 18 years to figure that out, though. It's fine. <laughs> but I figured it out eventually. Not 18. It was like 15. You're fine. <laughs> uh, I feel like in a relationship, we also need to improve intimacy. So a lot of times people forget that when they're in a long-term relationship, they need to keep... Oh, Hello, motorcycle. They need to keep up this level of intimacy with their romantic partner. Um, so a couple of suggestions that I've seen are um, mindful touching. Can you explain what that is? Well, I mean, it's not as... Um... I guess like squarely in my expertise, but yeah, I can definitely uh, riff on that a little bit because I really like that area actually, like mindful eroticism, mm -hmm. mindful sex, mindful yes. touch. Yes. And again, like presence is the word that comes to mind because there's so many different ways to touch people. And when you go into touch with an agenda, you can all feel that, you know, the person receiving the touch can feel that the other person has an agenda for that moment and that the touch is not fully present and fully attuned. Yeah. Versus when you're actually in the moment, really asking of the moment and asking of your partner, like what wants to be born and how does this touch really feel good right now? Like yeah. it's not going to look the same way every day. Kind of reminds people... me of BDSM. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Really? Yes. That's what I was thinking. I was like, uh -huh. BDSM is such a great, it, it can be such a great example. Yeah. Of a mindful, mindful touching. intimacy and touching. Yeah. That's kind of like, especially for, I don't know, particular areas of BDSM. Yeah. There's whole things where you like, you use one, like a feather or something mm -hmm. and mindfully touch like different areas to see how it's affecting your partner and yeah. like, what particular areas they like you're in tune in the moment and you're seeing how they're reacting yeah stuff like and that. the giver isn't doing it so that they get touched right. it's like this this like mm -hmm. i'm gonna touch you and make you feel good and i want to know how you feel and i want to know does this feel good does it you want it harder do you want it lighter um even if it's a massage or just holding hands or scratching someone's Kevin always he'll he'll rub my back and is you know is this okay and I'm like yeah even 18 years of marriage the man still asks for my consent is this okay oh, yeah nice yeah scratch my back scratch it scratch it, scratch it. Mm. 
I'm a golden yeah. retriever, so it's fine. Um, the, the yeah, mindful like, touching, I feel like, is such a beautiful way for mm-hmm. partners to become intimate again. What about eye gazing? I kind of find that to be a little awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of this technique? I really like eye gazing. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but to <laughs> me, it's just a nice way to kind of relax and tune into each other. How um, are you supposed to stare into each other's eyeballs? Well, there's no rule, but you know, you can start with 30 seconds and see what comes up and why is it so uncomfortable? Why what's coming up for you? (laughs) I just there's a Netflix show that just came out recently, Beef, um, with Stephen Young, who I'm obsessed with. And there's have you seen it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. and I can't unofficial sponsor, unofficial unofficial sponsor. (laughs) I cannot remember the actress's name for the life of me right now, but um her and her husband in the show are like working on eye gazing because their therapist told them to oh my and they're God. like they set a timer for like 30 seconds or something and they're like we're just gonna sit here oh and look God. at each other and like talk about whatever feelings come up wow it was like done in a way what that's off the topic but a good example in good media. example yeah very good example in media thank you very mm-hmm. much um I I feel like there's a lot of other ways we can be intimate with our partners and setting aside time, I think is one of the most important things we can do for our partner. Um, Making sure that you're present in the moment and especially if if your partner is saying, hey, I had a really hard day um, or I need like expressing what they need. I need you to listen right now. Is that, can I, can I borrow you to, to lend an ear for a moment? I need some feedback. Being present, putting your phone down, making sure that you are paying attention to what they're saying and, and really being their person so that they feel heard. Again, coming back to listening, listening mm-hmm, more than mm-hmm. you speak and hearing what your partner says and taking that and, and really applying it to the relationship. Right, right. Just in like dating, you know, getting out of performance mode or automatic mode and actually being present with this other person and Mm -hmm. what wants to be born in disconnection. I love that. What wants to be born? (laughs) (laughs) I sound very new agey. (laughs) I love it. It's very woo woo, but I, I really, really love it. Any more tips for individuals? Uh, in a relationship, how to be mindful and take care of that relationship? So I, again, um, on the topic of mindful touch, I really recommend the work of Betty Martin, The Wheel Mm. of Consent. And that. that is about practicing really being explicit about who is the touch for and who's doing the touch and what does person A want, what does person B want. And it can help clarify people's desires and get out of those automatic patterns. And I think that's a really brilliant tool to keep that's things fresh. Awesome. Yeah. Betty yeah. Martin. Mm-hmm. Dr. Awesome. Betty Martin, The Wheel the of Consent. Wheel of Consent. <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, it reminds me of John Gottman's Wheel of um, Emotional Words, like how mm. you're feeling. And it starts in the middle with like the words that we all use, those boring words like angry and sad and mm-hmm. jealous. And mm-hmm. it branches mm-hmm. off. And then it's like, here's five words that mean jealous. And then yeah. envy. And here's 10 words that mean envy. And compersion mm-hmm. hasn't made it to the John Gottman wheel oh, yet. Oh, got an email 
email him. You should email Mr. Gottman and see if you can add compersion to that wheel. Because I think, I'm sorry, Dan Savage, I 100% agree with compersion and (laughs) completely think that it is something that I strive for on a regular basis. How can compersion... Before we finish the interview, can you please give us any sort of link between compersion and mindfulness? Mm. Well, compersion is about really having your partner's best interest at heart, even when it's not necessarily convenient or pleasurable for you. So it's really about attunement and being supportive of your partner and loving even when there is a lot of shit in the way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think mindfulness is also about this kind of presence, awareness, but also finding kindness, even, even when, when there's a lot of shit in the way. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's about, again, like kind of giving a little bit more power to our prefrontal cortex and mm-hmm. our decision that, okay, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to yeah. love them in their complexity, in their freedom, in the ways that they want to fulfill their heart's desires. So it takes, I think, yeah, a lot of intentionality, mm-hmm. a lot of being able to stay present and manage your own emotions because yeah. some of them might not always be easy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, and, and also reminding yourself, like, it's okay. Like not everyone wants to be in a non-monogamous relationship and you don't have to, you know, you, if yeah. that just feels wrong for you, you don't have to do it. So just want to put that disclaimer out there because some people hear compersion and they're like, well, what if I don't want to be non-monogamous? It's like, you okay, can still be don't. happy for your partner in monogamy. You can be happy that yes. your partner... If your partner wants to go on vacation and you don't, my sister and her husband are literally the definition of compersion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> one of them sleeps in the bedroom and one of them sleeps uh, on the floor because his back hurts and mm-hmm, they don't mm-hmm. get mad at one another. Uh, my brother-in-law is going to Egypt by himself because my sister doesn't want to go and mm-hmm. my brother-in-law does. And my sister's like, have a great fucking time. Right. I have zero jealousy. I have zero anger. I'm so excited for you that you get to go on this journey. My sister's an artist. She's going to go work at a fair for a month and my brother-in-law has to watch their dogs. And he's like, I'm really proud of you. Way to get your passion and and go for it. And it does, you don't have to just be in a non-monogamous relationship to experience compersion for your partner. And I think that when this word starts to catch on and when this word starts to gain momentum, um, a lot of people are going to associate it with the non-monogamous community, but I really feel like we should be applying it to all relationships. You can experience joy for other people um, without needing to be in the joy with them. You can watch a child eat an ice cream cone and Mm -hmm, be happy for mm -hmm. them without needing to go up and be like, can I have a bite of that? (laughs) 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 Dr. Marie, thank you so much for being here with us. I appreciate your time, your insight. I appreciate all your beautiful little snippets, your, Mm -hmm. your, uh, your mindful swiping and, um, making things more, um, about positives uh, rather than negatives. I really think that it's super beneficial for all of our listeners. Um, Tell us one more time um, where people can find you, promote you, promote all of the things. (laughs) Absolutely. So follow me on Instagram. It's 
love underscore insight underscore dating. Um, get on my mailing list. I have the coaching website, which is loveinsight-dating.com. I have my compersion website, which is whatiscompersion.com. And if you're interested in, what's that? That's a great website. What is compersion.com? Oh, I know. It's easy. <laughs> Just Google what is compersion and you'll find me. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, if you are interested in coaching, I do one-on-one coaching with folks of all backgrounds, you know, whether or not you're dating or in a relationship, monogamous or not monogamous, I want to support you. And I offer a 30-minute free introductory session, oh. which you can find on each one of my websites. That's fantastic. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, um, I love meeting people. I know. I love meeting people too. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, thank you so much for the listeners. We appreciate you so much. Please make sure you check us out at What's Your Position Podcast on Instagram. What's Your Position Podcast on TikTok. You can email us at What's Your Position Podcast at gmail.com. I'm emailing with a, a, a listener right now who just binged season two. Cheers to you, my friend. Thank you. Um, right? I'm going to actually tell you what I'm going to say his name on the air. Um, not his full name, but. Um, Uh, And then also make sure that you send us ideas. If you want to be on the, you want to be on the show, send me an email. You want to suggest something for the show, send me an email. Literally love getting emails from all of our listeners. Absolutely can't get enough of it. Um, Would love to uh, hear from you about this episode. Tell us what you think. Call us at 513-69696. 696 yes is a real number. Leave us a voicemail and we will get back to you as soon as we can. Thank you again, Dr. Marie, for your time today. We really appreciate you. Everyone out there in the What's Your Position world, stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. What's Your Position podcast represents the opinions of Ashley Weller and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of error. Stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. Place on now, we're crying, crying. So let the velvet roll down, down. No heroes, villains want to blame. While wilted roses fill the stage, and the thrill, the thrill is gone. Our debut was a masterpiece. Our lines we read so perfectly, but the show it can't go on. to have it all, but now's our curtain call, so hold for the applause, oh, 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 oh. and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow, oh, it's our time to go, but at least we know.